Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm your guest host, Emmy Vadness, filling in for Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is meaning and coincidences. My guest is Dr. Bernard Beitman, who's been a guest on New Thinking Aloud a previous time. He is a visiting professor at the University of Virginia and is the former chair of the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Missouri-Columbia. He has edited two issues of Psychiatric Annals that focus on coincidences. He is the founder of the Coincidence Project, a global initiative cultivating worldwide use of coincidences, synchronicity, and serendipity. He is also the host of the podcast, Connecting with Coincidence. He is author of dozens of books, including Connecting with Coincidence, The New Science of Using Synchronicity and Serendipity in Your Life, and Meaningful Coincidences, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. Dr. Beitman is based in Charlottesville, Virginia, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Bernie. It's such a pleasure to have you back with us on New Thinking Aloud today. Thank you very much, Emmy. It's great to be here. I'm glad we've had our previous conversations, too. You have been experiencing coincidences and synchronicity all the way back to the time you were nine years old. Can you share how you got into studying this and even conducting formal research on coincidences and synchronicities? Yeah, I was a a boy with a dog uh, named Snapper, and my parents let me name him. Uh, and I love that dog. I mean, I was a lonely boy and he was the best friend I ever had. Uh, and we did stuff together and I came home one day, uh, from school. Um, I was about eight or nine and uh, riding on my bike and rode into the front yard and, um, I said, Hey ma, where's Snapper? She was standing in the front porch, and she said, I don't know. Um, why don't you go to the police station? Maybe they know, which I found, in retrospect, kind of funny, uh, but that's what she told me. <clears throat> so I got back on my bike and rode back towards my elementary school. This was in Shaker Heights, Ohio, and went across the blacktop where we played baseball and got to the big street called Van Aken Boulevard. And I'd never crossed it before, but I knew the police station was across Van Aken. So I crossed the big street and uh, parked my bike at the bottom of the stairs uh, of the police station and walked up the first stairs and then the long walk to the other stairs and then the big, big doors. I pushed the doors open and walked in and there was this big desk with this big man sitting behind the desk. And uh, I looked up at him and said, uh, have you seen my dog? And he said, uh, sorry, son, uh, have not seen your dog. And I started crying. Uh, and I walked back down the first set of stairs and 
the walk back to the second set of stairs and still crying and got on my bike. And uh, instead of going across the big street, I was crying. I wasn't paying attention. I just kept going along the sidewalk on the big street. And I looked up and there was a dog coming. He walked a lot like Snapper. Was that Snapper? It was Snapper. It was Snapper. So we got together. He jumped up on my legs. And if he could have talked, he would have said, where have you been? That's what it sounded like he said. And so we went home. And that was uh, like so amazing and so important to me because coincidences like this are very meaningful. Uh, uh, A lonely boy lost his dog, wanted to have his dog back. Now, Snapper had to make four turns to get to meet me. I just had one uh, turn to meet him. And there we were. And I just, I, I kind of wondered somewhere in my child brain about that, but I was more just happy, really happy to have found him. Um, and that tuned me in to uh, coincidences. I had a lot more of them after that. Uh, there ones like in sixth grade, uh, we moved to Wilmington, Delaware, and um, and I was new. I was new, obviously, and um, I'd come from a Shaker Heights high school where they had student council elections, uh, and I watched the way they ran their campaigns at this Moreland School in Shaker Heights, and so I liked it. I thought I liked the way they did it, so I ran a campaign for president of student council, which was the first year they were having a president of the student council, any student council. It was the first year they were having a, that that idea take place. And I ran a successful campaign. One of the things I had learned in Cleveland was to have a poster, put it on the wall, put the poster on the wall. And the poster, the poster was folded in half. So you had to open it. So on the front of the poster, it said, open this poster and you will see who is voting for Bernie B. So you open the poster and there's a mirror. Hmm. I still think that was pretty clever. And and some other things. I got to be president of the student council just walking in and taking what I'd learned. And that was a kind of a coincidence to me. But on top of that, Mrs. Hall, the person who was in charge of the student council, didn't tell me how to run a student council meeting. She thought because I ran a good campaign, I knew how to run the meeting. I sat in student council meetings in Cleveland, and I didn't pay attention. I thought it was kind of boring. So I didn't know what to do. So I sat there. What do you do? I don't know what happened after that. But what was funny to me, uh, looking back, was our class put on uh, the Wizard of Oz as a puppet show. And somehow I got assigned the puppet of the Wizard of Oz. And so when Toto, the dog, comes around and pulls the curtain back of this guy who's creating all kinds of stuff magically, kind of like the way I did the campaign, you pull the curtain back and it's just a guy... (laughs) pulling the levers. And that's kind of what it was for me. So being told 
to play that role fit with the what the way that I had done the student council thing. So those were those were early those were early memories, and uh, they happened a lot on baseball, playing baseball and football and all kinds of things, um, all kinds of times where this happened. And one of the most uh, coincidence rich places of my life was nineteen sixty. Nine to 1971 on Haight, in Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco. I was a part-time hippie while being a psychiatric resident at Stanford. I'd come up from Palo Alto and be a hippie. And yeah, I'll end this part, part of it with this Emmy. With the, There was a sign there somewhere on Haight Street that said, Synchronicity spoken here. Did you find that synchronicities just kept happening for you? And you wanted to follow them to research them eventually? They kept happening in San Francisco to a point where I had to tell myself, don't let them blow your mind because there were so many of them. I wrote some of them down, but that book got lost. Somebody stole it. So I don't know some of them, but I I remember some of them. There are all kinds of ones happening in San Francisco. I mean, if I look at my life now here in Charlottesville, Virginia, I get involved with coincidences on a regular basis now. It's like they, I live them. Uh, they live with me. Uh, part of it's awareness and part of it is uh, something else because uh, I be- have become known as Dr. Coincidence. Well, you and I had one when we first met, even just through email. We haven't even spoken yet. We were scheduling our preliminary conversation to set up this interview here, t- here today and you had asked me if we could reschedule, and I said that was fine. And then we learned later that we both took that time, so it gave me a block in my schedule. Of course, I could have worked and done something else, but I thought, wow, I've been working a lot. I'm going to go ahead and, and play with a friend. So I got together with a friend, and you got together with a friend, and then we discovered that we both were in water. We went swimming and played and splash run in water with our friends. We paralleled play, Demi. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Part of the fun of this is to ask you, how do you think that happened? I think we're all connected. You mentioned a term psychosphere. I definitely do believe that we're all connected and that when we have maybe more like-mindedness or perhaps when there's some connection we're meant to have, it we align with each other and these coincidences or synchronicities, and I want to kind of get into the definitions a little bit more with you in a moment, can perhaps let us know that we are in sync and on the right path with what we need to be doing? Yeah. Uh, I'm the founder and president of the Coincidence Project. And uh, and people can look for the website. It's going to come up. It'll be up soon. Uh, The Coincidence Project vision is to illuminate the invisible currents that connect and unite us. And what we just experienced, you and I, is an invisible current that connects us and now is uniting us uh, in this conversation. And in the psychosphere, our, the psychosphere is, in my view, our mental atmosphere. It's like very similar to uh, air and how we breathe in and breathe out, 
breathe in oxygen, breathe out carbon dioxide. We do something similar uh, in, with the psychosphere, which is made up of energy and information, energy information. So we breathe in kind of metaphorically and breathe out uh, energy and information. And each of us in doing that puts out feelings, ideas that may reach to someone else also doing the same thing. So because you and I were on a line to come together, the elements of the psychosphere that represent Emmy and represent Bernie uh, were starting to come together already. And having this coincidence is a, with us both in water tended to demonstrate that we were coming together and connecting. Yeah, and we weren't just in water. We were both taking time to play and we weren't by ourselves. We were both with friends. <laughs> So there was a, there were, we were mirroring each other. And this idea of mirroring is so important. We have mirror neurons for some reason. They're in our heads. They're in our brains. They, our mirror neurons mirror in our own mind what somebody else is doing. So if somebody else is eating something, uh, that, that we might also have an experience of what it might be like to be eating what that person is doing, or we copy people on a regular basis. Well, Underneath all that, there's also this mirroring each other in terms that uh, coincidences tend to reveal. So how do you differentiate between a coincidence, a synchronicity, and a serendipity? Because some people listening might think, well, a coincidence is just sort of two things happening that don't really have any significance. And But you're suggesting that coincidences can be quite meaningful. That's uh, the title of my new book, Meaningful Coincidences. And uh, the long title is Meaningful Coincidences, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. So meaningful coincidences include both synchronicity and serendipity, as well as seriality, and as well as what I'm calling simulpathity, the experience of the pain of a loved one at a distance, which sounds like, really? But yes, my weird coincidence survey indicated that people regularly experience the pain of a loved one at a distance. And for me, it was experiencing the inability to stop choking. 1973, I couldn't stop choking and finding out at the same time 3,000 miles away in Wilmington, Delaware, I was in San Francisco, my father was choking on his own blood and dying. So I was experiencing his pain around the same time he did. And that's simulpathity, which a lot of people also experience, which is kind of an odd thing to believe. But one of the purposes of the Coincidence Project and what I'm doing is to help break our fairly rigid views of reality, um, which science has gotten into laws about how things should work. And the part of, part of the way that works is by paying attention to the differences between meaningful coincidences, synchronicity, and serendipity. Now, what are the differences? Well, the similarities are that they are both meaning, or they are all meaningful coincidences. And when you talk, Emmy, about 
coincidences. You have to pay attention to the adjective you use. Uh, just a coincidence, merely a coincidence, only a coincidence is the usual way um, people really, some people think about coincidence, that they don't matter. They're just random events. Mm-hmm. When you add meaningful coincidences, when you add meaningful in front of that word, you have a whole different thing. They have something is important to you. It's meaningful to you. It has some value to you. And that's what I am studying in meaningful, the meaningful coincidence. But first, what's a coincidence? Yes, it's the coming together of two apparently unrelated by cause events in a surprising and unexpected way. They come together and you can't explain it, but you kind of a sense maybe there is an explanation. You just can't find it. Just like the way you and I went swimming uh, around the same time. There's something else there. Well, you divide up the meaningful coincidence group into synchronicity and serendipity. And it's so, I, it's so important to me. I don't know if it's important to you and uh, our, our viewers. Um, Jung never used the word synchronicity to apply to meaningful coincidences. He used the term meaningful coincidence. Jung used the term synchronicity to describe an a-causal connecting principle. Synchronicity was a way to explain meaningful coincidences to Jung. But in modern use, synchronicity refers to a, with a lot of people to a meaningful coincidence. So what's the difference between synchronicity currently used and these, these words are not well defined. In my book, you can see the cover in the back behind me. Uh, in my book, I try to make some definitions, but they're revolving just like a lot of definitions evolve all the time. Like the word perfect used to mean you got 100 on a test. Now it doesn't mean that so much anymore. It's a much looser definition. So words evolve. Right now, synchronicity probably applies more to interpersonal and spiritual coincidences. Um, and funny thing to me is that it's much more popular in the United States uh, and probably Australia, um, synchronicity is, than it is necessarily in Europe. Europe serendipity tends to be a popular, the popular word. And the difference is that the many of the people in, ser- in the serendipity business are academics studying with like data serendipity. And what they tend to mean by serendipity is usually about an action that produces an outcome. It's more like in the practical world, in the material world, rather than the in the um, psychological and spiritual world where synchronicity tends to be. So those general categories are, are, prob- are pretty good distinctions. But serendipity is funny because they have a couple different definitions of serendipity. Uh, one is a finding something you're looking for uh, while you're looking for something else. And another part, another part of the definition is uh, finding something totally unexpected that you weren't even looking for. It just shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the most famous one of those is the discovery of penicillin by Alexander Fleming. 
Uh, and you can read about that in my book if you want to. It's like uh, a lot of stuff happened for penicillin to be discovered and then in 1929 and then to be made into mass production by a woman named Moldy Mary, they ended up calling her, Mary, Mary Hunt, who found the just right mold that made huge amounts of penicillin with a lot of stuff happening in between that. It's quite a story. That's serendipity. A lot of Nobel Prize winners found what they want, what they got serendipitously. Synchronicity tends to be about, as I mentioned, emotional and spiritual events and changes and meanings. And the most famous of the of those stories is uh, Carl Jung's. People quote it all the time, and it's worth mentioning just what happened because it's an important one that's gotten more looks than uh, a lot of people don't know about how it happened uh, and all the potential. But Jung was um, in Zurich, Switzerland, where he had his office and his home. Um, and he was dealing with a woman who had a very rigid, let's say, basic, rational, scientific view of the world. And Jung couldn't break through the cauldron of her rationality. And Jung was frustrated. And it's very important to recognize that if need tends to drive synchronicity, high emotion tends to drive synchronicity. So Jung was frustrated. He wanted to be able to get across something to his patient. She wasn't listening. So one day she comes in um, describing a dream because that's what Jungian patients were supposed to do. And in the dream, it was about a golden scarab piece of jewelry, a ring. And a scarab is a, is a, is a, a beetle-like uh, insect. And it means, meant to Jung, archetype of transformation. Um, so she tells him this, this dream about the golden scarab. And Jung hears like Santa Claus tap, tap, tapping on his window pane. Pop, 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 pop. He opens the window and he pulls out the Swiss version of a scarab beetle. It's called the... It's a rose something or other that is uh, very much like the scarab. Uh, and what most people don't know is that these rose beetles fly around the Zurich area in the spring looking for roses. So there were a lot of them out there. And I think Ryung might have known what was out there, at least had a good chance to know what was out there. But the story is usually told, and I heard this recently, and there were not supposed to be any beetles around, and there it was. Well, there were some around. So Jung had some idea about it, I think. And he got this beetle and showed it to the woman and said, here is your scarab. When you get a coincidence like that, that, puts together what's out there with what's in your mind, it often blows your mind, which means it changes or has the potential of exploding your basic thoughts about how reality works, because how did that happen? So Jung said, well, um, it uh, really changed the course of therapy, and um, she got better. But he didn't describe any of it.
Well, Eric Vargo, Vargo went back and looked at what might have happened. And the woman patient, he got her name, um, was very good at precognition. So it's, from Vargo's perspective, the woman uh, was able to predict that Jung was going to get that uh, that Rose Schaefer into her into her future, and she dreamed it. She dreamed that he would, and so it was a precognitive dream that she had something to do with. One of the other parts of this is it often gets lost that Jung made this coincidence happen. He went to the window and presented it to her. You presented it to her. You usually don't get somebody intervening as an intermediary to make your coincidence happen. So there's a lot of other elements to the story, but this story is the most quoted and uh, deserves to be analyzed because it's so interesting. Yeah, some say the future has already happened and we are living it out. <laughs> you mentioned a term simulpathy. It sounds like that might be similar to telepathy. Absolutely, Emmy. Absolutely, because if you take about take apart the word telepathy, it means tele, which is at a distance, pathy, which is feeling of some kind, emotion, pain. So the original definition of telepathy was what I'm calling simulpathy, feeling the pain of a loved one at a distance. But telepathy, as you know, has gotten very cognitive, so it's more about thought transference rather than about feeling transference. So I made up this name to catch us back to the, to catch, to back to the future. We went to the past to bring it into the present. In your research, have you found that people who have stronger bonds tend to have more meaningful coincidences? I know the research about simulpathy. Um, uh, that, that's not what I've done, but Ian Stevenson here in, at the University of Virginia, uh, researched this question uh, and asked a lot of people and got some good numbers that simulpathy is more likely to happen between people who are emotionally connected. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean a family member. It could be uh, somebody that, that is a loved one uh, that's not a family member. So there's something about love and connection that increases the probability of coincidences between two people. I love messing with my younger son with that because <laughs> I I do that with him sometimes. And he said, oh, no, you called right when I was, when he was thinking about me or doing something else. It was like, uh, it's there. It happens between two people who are particularly open to talking about it because you don't know it's happening until you say it's happening. And why do you think that occurs, that love could create more meaningful coincidences and synchronicities you're talking about love emmy <laughs> i am i am a great romantic um and that's a form of love romance uh but it's really a great one and it's something i continue to study uh as well as experience uh, it's a uh, it's fun um love is uh so many mystics have said is what makes it is made in, is in the universe. They feel this endless love uh, from 
the universe, God, or whatever you want to call this big consciousness that we're part of. Uh, it love is a wonderful connector among and between people. If you if you love somebody, that person loves you. What a wonderful experience that is, and it's a it's a conveyor belt for more connections with each other. And do you think it's because when you love somebody, you think about them more? Perhaps you have more feeling, affection, emotion, and so though that focus and attention, and maybe intention to continue to have them in your life might somehow manifest some of these coincidences. Yeah, I think so. I agree. Is there anything else you want to say about that? <laughs> <laughs> have you waxing poetic? <laughs> I was going to leave that with you as because you did pretty you did pretty well with that. It's really a hard it's a hard question uh because I I could go on and on about the different forms of love and uh and connection uh but it's the heart um and the mind coming together uh just the greatest thing you could ever learn is to love and be loved in return. Uh the greatest thing you can ever learn is to love and feel the love of someone else in return. And that does something to the human body, heart, mind that um, no other things do except maybe the love of whatever the intelligence is that has something to do with making us and creating the world we're in because we we do not know how we got here and we ask a lot of questions about that uh what i do know is that we need much more love in this world as so many songs have said what the world needs now is love sweet love i mean we need more love as showing our connections among and between us because we are headed for the sixth major extinction of this planet. And what I'm trying to do is, is encourage people to tell each other coincidence stories. And my book will encourage you to recognize coincidence stories in yourself, with yourself, and with other people. And to encourage you to tell the other person the story. As Emmy, you told me, you're part of the story. You have to be able to talk about them with each other, to know they exist. And just talking about them together brings you closer together. Mm-hmm. But more, more importantly, I think the study of coincidences and the use of coincidences will help mitigate, reduce the tragedy that human beings are now visiting upon ourselves and our planet. We are trashing our planet. I mean, I can go to the gym a little while. I can go to the river and go swimming. Food is around. But that's not true in a lot of places around the world now. And some of it's political and some of it is climate change. Some of it is the planet is heating up. And we're doing it. We're trashing our home, us human beings. So I propose to you that you recognize the existence of the collective human organism, the collective human organism, the CHO, and that we, each of us, is a potential cell in this giant organism. And as a cell in the giant organism, we are here to find our purpose. What are we here for? 
What are we doing? You can see what I'm doing. I'm doing this coincidence stuff. I've had a lot of history that's gotten me here, being chairman of a psychiatry department, uh, being scouted by the Oakland Raiders for football, going to a Pittsburgh Pirate tryout camp, being a part-time hippie in San Francisco. I've been in a lot of different places, a lot of different experiences, each of which I've experienced a lot of coincidences. So I have learned how to write about them and talk about them. That's my job. And part of my job in this collective human organism is to encourage you to tell each other coincidence stories so that you will find more readily your purpose, what you can do to contribute to the collective human organism in a way that helps reduce the tragedies that we are now creating for ourselves and which seem to be increasing in frequency. And as you find your purpose, you also find a way to connect with other people so that the cell that you are is a part of a whole cellular structure that is coordinating with the whole to do something different from what we are doing now. These coincidences can help us to understand that we're more connected maybe than we sometimes realize. And that we can work cooperatively together versus fighting each other. Yep. And that's a tough one. I mean, how do you get people to work cooperatively with each other? You're the psychiatrist, Bernie. And so people have said that to me many times. You're the psychiatrist. I should know something. Hey, I'm in this business of psychiatry because I don't know something, which is like how to get along with people. I mean, that is a, how do you get along with each other? There are so many conflicts. I have had the pleasure of knowing what it's like to be canceled. Somebody who I thought was a really good friend of mine canceled me. No, I was ghosted. And we had such a good time with, with each other. And I did a little something, poof, hit the tripwire, and it was gone. And she won't talk with me about it. That's what's going on out there. I've talked to other people uh, about that, too. They're so easy to throw people away when you've had a good time with each other. So you have to learn to be able to stop and talk about it. Uh, another person at dance got really mad at me when I was trying to compliment her and she misunderstood me. And I had to leave because the intensity was too strong of her anger at me. For those of you who are interested, she's a Scorpio. And I'm just a Pisces. So I had to leave. To her credit, she emailed me and said she didn't like getting so angry. And I got a chance to tell her what I was intending. And so we, we were able to hug really nicely after uh, when I saw her again. To be able to talk about it, which the first one didn't do, requires something called meta-communication. Meta meaning about communication. It's two people talking about communication together. And to be able to talk about coincidences together the way you and I did, Emmy, is uh, the building of a relationship in which you're able to talk about what is going on between the two of you.
Well, a sun sign Scorpio is <laughs> likely going to give you the truth. So <laughs> thank goodness for, for that. And there are, of course, many reasons that people shut down or retreat or um, protect them, feel like they need to protect themselves for some reason. Yeah. And then you hit tripwires, especially these days, that throw people off. So yes, I'm a psychiatrist, but I'm not just a psychiatrist, Emmy. I've written two books on psychotherapy and gotten two national awards for my psychotherapy training program based on one of those books called Learning Psychotherapy. And the reason I do this is because I'm still trying to figure out how relationships can be improved because we don't do very well as people with relationships. So I'm, I'm trying to become maybe a psychotherapist for the collective human organism. That's the role that I'm beginning to see myself playing. We have to keep in mind, though, this question. How many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but it has to want to change. And I don't think we have much in the CHO, the collective human organism, of wanting to change. And somehow we have to do motivational interviewing, which could take the place of multiple catastrophes uh, for people to pay attention. But the funny thing is that uh, the arrogance and narcissism of a good many people has them believing that it won't happen to them what's happening to other people. They'll be fine somehow. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of a old... Uh, old story where a couple is talking they're kind of on the older side a couple is talking and he says he says to her when one of us dies i'm going to paris so he's not going to die she's going to be the one to die and we have a lot of us have that idea that i don't have to do anything any different and how do we find a way to activate the self-observer of each person, because you could observe yourself having a pattern of going swimming that was like mine. You could observe that. It's a simple one, but you observed that. Enough to be able to say that to me for us to be able to discuss it. You have to be able to step back. You have to develop your ability to observe the goings-on in your own mind in order to be able to see what's there and possibly change that and then to develop a an alliance between the self-observers of the two people to look at what's going on between them. Yes, being more aware and also listening to each other. I had a meeting the other day that could have been full of conflict, but I intentionally, I could have argued with them and put out reasons why I was upset, but I just decided to soften myself, to listen, and to hear what their good intentions were because they wanted to share and be heard. And I learned that, and these are tenets, I believe, in nonviolent communication, that by listening to them, which is why I'm so grateful to do be a guest host here with Jeffrey Mishlove. And I know you have a podcast as well as I think it's so important to have conversations and listen to each other and really hear what each other is saying. Because when a person feels heard, 
it can help soften them to you and you can come together more. Yes. Amen, sister. I mean, you're, you're, you're right. I, we don't get enough of that being listened to thing going on. But yeah. Listening to somebody else takes is a skill you develop to learn how to feel with the other person, not just hear it. You're right. We've got to be able to do that. For those listening who maybe are questioning if they've had any meaningful coincidences or maybe they, they're thinking, well, maybe it was a coincidence, but it could have just, just been a coincidence, like it didn't really have any meaning, and they maybe want to have more of these experiences, is there anything you can recommend for them to, to um, have these good-feeling experiences? Yeah. Um, listen to my podcast. Watch my podcast because I talk with people who come at coincidences in lots of different ways. Uh, it's called Connecting with Coincidence. And read my book, uh, Meaningful Coincidences. But the best way to do all that after you do that is to tell each other coincidence stories or even ask somebody, what coincidences have you had recently? And the funny thing is, some people will tell you they've had some, but nobody asks them about it. So they don't get a chance to talk about it. And some of the people in the Coincidence Project are really good at asking people, have you had any coincidence lately? So if you want to have coincidences happen, if you want them, they're already out there happening. you got to believe you got to believe they're happening. And not only that, you got to believe that they might be useful. Not only that, you might have to believe that they can be fun. I mean, you, there are certain beliefs that are important to answering that question. And the belief that they're out there happening is where it starts. And then the willingness to take an event of your mind and connect that with the event outside of your mind by recognizing the similarity in their patterns, that you have to do too. Mm -hmm. so a lot of people ask, what's the cause of coincidences? The cause of the coincidences is you bringing together two patterns at the same time in your mind. Yeah, you mentioned practical reasons that coincidences happen. And one we've talked about is connections. Um, you share that it can also help with decision making. What are some of the other ways that coincidences or meaningful coincidences and synchronicities can help people? Uh, one of my favorites is um, curiosity. That if this stuff happens, you start wondering, huh? Why did that happen? So when you get curious, then you start opening your mind to new possibilities. Uh, and that's good for you. Curiosity sometimes kills the cat, it's for sure. But a lot of times curiosity opens your mind to new ideas. So that's one. It helps with decision making, as you, as you have mentioned. And uh, <laughs> there's one like story that I really like. The, there are several steps in, in a making a decision. Um, and the first is knowing, knowing you better make a decision. I mean, sometimes you don't 
know that. And some, you got to define the pattern first that's got to be decided upon. So this is in my book too. And I don't know how I stumbled across this, but an Uber driver drove her boyfriend to the airport so he could visit his sick mother. Bye-bye, kiss, kiss. Okay, so a couple of days later, she picked somebody else up at the airport, uh, a woman, and uh, the woman gives her directions to her boyfriend's apartment building. And she said, I've been here before, the driver says, and she drives in, and there's her boyfriend's car parked there. It's not at the airport where she thought it was going to be. His car's, car's parked out there. Then he comes out. And he puts his arms around this other woman who had been talking all about her boyfriend that she's going to go visit. And suddenly the Uber driver said, there's something going on around here. Maybe I better do something about it. So she broke up with this guy because he was cheating on her and she didn't know it. That coincidence of getting, I mean, I love that picks up somebody and takes them to the apartment of her boyfriend, the apartment building of her boyfriend. It was just it's pretty amazing to me. And that coincidence obviously got, had her thinking and got her doing something about that relationship, which was now I'm single, she says. Maybe in a way she orchestrated being the Uber driver for her, her boyfriend's girlfriend. Uh, thank you for that, because uh, I like to think about things going going like that, too. I think what we tend to to see is people say it's God or the universe or it's random chance that makes these things happen. And we play a role in all this. We play a role in all this. And we have much more ability to know what's going on around us than we think. And so your, your suggestion that she showed up, the Uber driver, at the airport for just the right passenger so that she could learn this is very consistent with the way I think these things happen. Right. And you mentioned that some people think it's just a law of probability all the way up on a continuum to that it could be God who is orchestrating this for them. Those are the two favorites. I got the data to show it. Uh, God universe being the most favorite, uh, random being the second. However, there are plenty of people who recognize they play a role in these things too. And so you end up saying, well, these guys say it's God, and these guys say it's random, they both can't be right because they have 100% belief in their belief. So they both can't be right. I mean, at least on earth, the way we think about things, they both can't be right. So in a way, they both have a contribution to what's right. There is plenty of mystery and coincidences. Like, how did the Uber driver actually find the right person? We don't know that. We're still learning it. There's, there's parapsychological explanations for that, which we can talk about. And then random, every coincidence has a probability of happening. So there is a random quality to every coincidence. So this random, there's personal responsibility, which tends to get neglected. And there's God universe. Keep in mind that if you do, ra if you do random or you do God universe, you're saying that it's all random, it's done randomly, you have nothing to do with it. Same with God. It's all God's doing. You have nothing to do with it. And I'm saying you have variable amounts 
of contribution to your coincidences. Right. It's that internal or external locus of control. That's right. And we got some, we got some, we got some internal locus of control that is really fun to try to figure out. Yeah. Go ahead and share a little bit about the parapsychological aspect to this. Finding my dog was the first one. And even the Uber driver could be a version of this. Uh, getting to where I needed to be without knowing how I got there. I was just doing it. I was kind of an automatic. Automatic, hmm. Well, Rex Stanford, a parapsychological researcher, came up with something called Psi-Mediated Instrumental Response. Well, that's a mouthful, you know. Uh, and he showed that somebody could, in a laboratory setting, create circumstances to get what they needed without knowing how they did it. You can read my book to see the details of Rex Stanford's experiments. But I call finding my dog and all kinds of examples like that, the Uber driver finding the right passenger, I call that human GPS, very much like the GPS in our cars, that we have somehow a tracking capacity to know where the thing, person we want, we need, is in three-dimensional time space. And then we push the GPS button and we get there at just the, get the right place at the right time. One of the most astounding examples of that was like uh, one of our study patients when she was a teenager, late teenager, would drove her car out to a lake in the forest someplace and had uh, her father's gun and was going to kill herself. So as she thought about what she was about to do, a car drove up right next to her. It was her brother. He'd never been to this place before. He had didn't know she had their father's gun. So she said, how'd you get here? He said, I don't know. I just felt like I needed to come here. Human GPS saved his sister's life. Yeah, he had a knowing. And you can hear that when people talk. They'll say things like, I need to get back on track or I'm not on track. And so perhaps we have our own internal compass. Not perhaps. We do. <laughs> Just have to activate it. And as I... And coincidences happen, again, in times of need, and here was their need, uh, times of life transition, and as life stressors, as well as high emotion. And those all fit that circumstance, and many others, and certainly with the Uber driver, it did too. Reading your book and preparing for this interview made me think about the coincidences in my life, and... I really do feel that my life is full of them. In fact, it seems that almost every step, if not every step of the way, those meaningful coincidences have, they were meant to occur. <laughs> we're meant to occur is kind of funny. That's, uh, 
if you made them happen, they may not have happened if you didn't participate in them. So somehow you played a role in it. But what we mean by meant and fate is something else. Uh, I'm reading a book called um, The Coincidence Makers. These are people who create coincidences for other people. The Coincidence Makers. It's really fun because the guy who wrote it understood coincidences very well. There's a lot of love and romance in this thing, too, and a little bit of uh, magical stuff happening. But there is some idea that there is a coincidence control office, an Earth coincidence control office. This is John Lilly's, Lilly's idea, Lilly's idea. He was a psychonaut. He explored consciousness. And he said there was an Earth Coincidence Control Office, ECCO, E-C-C-O, which means behold in Italian and I think Latin, ECCO. And that there's a solar system coincidence control office all the way up as as nested uh, control offices. Well, I like that idea. I was just wondering who was like paying for these earthly coincidence uh, makers uh, and yeah, there's something going on here, and we don't know what it is. Do you, Mr. Jones, said Bob Jillen, and, uh, or don't you, you don't, Mr. Jones. You don't know what's going on here. There's something else going on here. And I'm in this, Emmy, because I'm curious. And like Alice, I'm saying it gets curiouser and curiouser. What's going on here? What we think is real here has a lot of shadows and mechanical things and ideas and feelings and energy going on around it. And coincidences give us a link to what's going on outside our materialistic bubble. What do you think is making these meaningful coincidences happen? That's what I'm trying to answer. Um, I can define the circumstances. I can define sometimes people's involvement in them. But to me, it's an evolution for human beings to evolve into awareness of serendipity and synchronicity. And we better do it fast along with other consciousness-raising ways to recognize that we, the collective human organism, are on a self-destructive pathway. So the purpose of it, I see, of coincidences is a practical one, a teleological one. We're drawn to an outcome, not so much only the past, but what the future is drawing us towards. And the future is drawing us towards collecting in a loving, caring way where we can talk with each other about ourselves and what's going on with us and having fun, man. I just think this earth is a great place to have fun and coincidences are a lot of fun. Well, I've had a lot of fun meeting you, getting to know you, Bernie. And I love that you bring up the aspect around Earth and how we all need to come together more. And the the world definitely needs more love. And I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to share what you're sharing. And you also mention that the sun and the moon are a meaningful coincidence in that they seem to be the same size, even though they are 93 million miles apart. Yeah particularly when you see an eclipse, 
a moon coming in front of moon solar eclipsing the sun. They appear to be the same size. But the moon is and the sun are 93 million miles apart. How does it happen that these two floaters in our solar system look to be the same size? How'd that happen? We don't know. Anything's your guess. We don't know, but they are. And again, as a future cause, Emmy, rather than looking at the past, and there are guesses about how it happened. And one of my favorite is the moon was a piece of the earth and went off and developed its own thing and started like going further and further away from earth. And it's still moving away from earth. But it happens that the moon looks at where it is and it's traversing away from the earth. It got to a place where it's the same size from where we look at it now. So now, when we can look at the moon and sun, we see a coincidence. And and that's a message to each and every one of us that coincidences are something we should pay attention to. Is there anything else you would like to share here today about meaning and coincidences? In one of the the sections of the book, uh, talk about the psychosphere, my way of explaining uh, coincidences. And there's a whole list of possible ways of explaining them um, from Jung's Unus Mundus to thinking about chaos and complexity theory. Um, uh, Rupert Sheldrake has a has a place in all this with his morphic fields. Um, there's all this all people people have different piece, pieces of the puzzle. Uh, I'm uh, I'm practical, and I like to be able to come up with practical explanations. But for me, the main driver is the future, the future of humanity and the future of the life that's on this planet, not just uh, people. We're just crowding everybody out out here. But there are people out here, just like my dog was a person. And I can I talk with trees sometimes. And they're, they got consciousness, those things. And other plants do. And other animals. I mean, there's a lot of consciousness running around out there besides us. we got to recognize that. I'm much more interested in the future of how coincidences can help the way we are functioning here on this planet. Dr. Bernie Beitman, thank you so much for all that you've shared with us here today. You really are giving all of us a lot to really consider and to become more aware of around meaning and coincidences. Thank you so much for being with me. You're very welcome, Emmy. I'm glad to meet you. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. Mm -hmm.